You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and this is an absolute blinder of an episode. I'm so proud of this one. This was the fourth and final of the current run of live Soho Theatre podcasts. And the guest is Adam Buxton. And many of you will be huge fans of Adam Buxton. Many people in the room were. We sold out the show. It was something like 140 seats uh, downstairs in the Soho Theatre bar venue. And uh, I am, that's the, that's the biggest live audience we've had for the podcast thus far. And I'm just so thrilled that, uh, that we were able to make it happen, thanks to a combination of Adam's profile, his uh, very kind retweeting of my adverts, me constantly telling you about the FAF discount. We'll all be glad to see the back of that for now. Um, and you for coming along. So thank you so much. People made journeys from all over the country to get there. And uh, I know they really enjoyed it. Many of you told me. Um, I'm so, so pleased with the result. Adam was very funny from the off. We're going to get straight, uh, we're going to get stuck straight into it. This is the brilliant Adam Buxton. For the, uh, for the benefit of the listener at home, uh, I'm very pleased to see that Adam has come on bringing his rucksack with him in a way that suggests he's either planning to leave any second or simply does not trust the staff at the Soho Theatre. It's a little bit of both. I bought you some, uh, I bought you a, a, some gifts. Oh my God, incredible. They're self-serving gifts. Oh nice, the best. The, the best, best kind. kind of gift. <laughs> I bought you uh, a, a, a CD, the best of the Adam and Joe XFM podcast. Oh, my God. Hopefully entitled Series One. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've signed it, and I, I, I saw I... Joe this afternoon. He signed it, too. Oh, my God. And um, Well, it... this, this is a PR offensive, the like of which has yeah. never been seen. If he, if he delves, like, in an unpleasant way after this, what a fucking bastard (laughs) after a signed cd of amazing bullshit um adam and joe's song wars volume two it's still got the cling film on it and if i was you i'd leave it that way i no 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 i believe this. no it's got some good great this has got the quantum of solace sure great work and it's got it's got i think my festival song is on there which is lovely lovely cannot cannot go to a festival without singing yeah that's a good one 
Have I got any? I've got some bad ones on there. Oh, yeah, the bonus track is fucking awful. <laughs> Don't listen to that. And I've got, I made you a CD of my favorite bits from a show that me and Joe did called Shock Video. This is very hard to get hold of. It is, yeah. And I with, tried with to. With good up, reason? Or? Well, I tried to upload. This is a show that we did, I think it was on E4, perhaps, towards the beginning of the noughties. And I'm it was. I'm going to show you the amount of breasts on the back of yeah. that. It's quite a lot of breasts, right, man? Joe and I were. We were in our wilderness years after doing the Adam and Joe show, and we'd been informed by um, a guy called Kevin Ligo at Channel 4 that it was time for us to um, broaden our horizons okay. and get out of the somewhere bedroom yep. and think about... Not somewhere else. He was just like, what's next? What are you going to do next? Okay. And we said, uh, well, more, another thing, exactly the same as the <laughs> things that we've just done with, like, toys and stuff. What about that? He's like, no, 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 no. Uh, it's time to step things up and, and cross over. So we didn't. <laughs> um, and instead, we ended up doing a show for E4 that was called Shock Video. And essentially what it was was uh, softcore pornography clips that, we, that, that were some, for some reason like noteworthy. It wasn't just straightforward softcore porn. It was, some, it was sort of like... Uh, Euro Trash, if you remember that show. Yes, yes, I remember it. It was sort of stupid, crazy Euro porn bullshit. Okay. And then we would, uh, we were supposedly linking it in voice only, but we would just, we ended up just talking over the whole clips, right? <laughs> Adam and Joe talk over porn. I, I, I mean, mean it... exactly. And so we talked over it, and, and sometimes we would do vague lip syncing over what they were actually saying. <laughs> Sometimes we would sing songs about what was going on, and it was kind of the precursor to some of the things we did on the radio. Okay. And it became, like, for a while, it was the most successful thing we ever did because it was repeated. Every time you would get back from the pub, it would be on. Like, for, for about 10 years, it felt like. How did... I mean, does that annoy you on any level, that the most successful thing you've done was sort of porn-related or... No, I understand how the world works. <laughs> hey, listen, this is, this is a, as good a place as any to start. We've got, I've got sure. sort of like seven or eight major things to talk about. Yeah. So we're going to try and spend nine minutes on Let's each. Do it. Um, I've heard this show. You're going to try and make me cry and confess to some terrible things that I've done. We, we can start with that if you like. But I, I, I normally find that someone said that I lull people into an accurate sense of security. Okay. So that, <laughs> well, that was Gareth Gwynn said that. Brilliant, brilliant comic. Um, so... Let's talk about the success in terms of your your internet. Um, no, let's not. I'm going to save that just because we mentioned it doesn't we need to get onto it. I, I want to find out whether you see with the amazing amount of uh, uh, things that you generate, things like sort of little noodly internet projects like the counting song or... Little one-off nuggets. Li little one-off nuggets, if you like. Absolutely. Um, do you regard the amount of hits that they get on YouTube as a measure of their success of or their quality worth. or worth or anything uh, like that? No. Because um, it, it depends on all kinds of things. I've noticed that if I'm not in the clip, it will get significantly more views. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> is, um, that, is that to do with the, the lack of a human face in the clip? Or do you think it's yes, specifically I think, you? I, I think that um, unless you're super famous and super well known, then people tune in uh, or, or click on the clip to see you because it's like, oh, it's Will Ferrell or whoever. You know, it's, it's a sort of seal of quality and everyone's familiar with it. But for someone like me, not so well-known, um, you know, in, in larger circles, then people are put off by that, and they just think, who's he? I don't oh, know that's him. that's interesting. They go, oh, there's, there's some guy in yeah, this one. Yeah, you just sort of assume, ah, I'm not going to like this. It's a guy. I don't know him. 
Um, and most people, I think, online are fairly unadventurous, I would say. Um, not uh, the people that follow my work, of course. <laughs> broad-minded geniuses. But, you know, people, that's why clickbait works so well. You know, it's like, it's, uh, it's no secret. If you're going to lie to people or mislead them somehow with the title of your video clip, it's probably going to get a load more views. You'll, you'll have to deal with quite a lot of abuse uh, for having lied to them. Like, I, saw, I was watching a video the other day of a... You know, there's a lot of heckler videos, yes? Mm, mm -hmm. And you can sometimes get on a jag of watching comedians dealing with hecklers. And on they're often called YouTube. Comedian Destroys Heckler. Right. And the actual product is simply someone going, shut it. Well, this one was called Comedian Kicks Heckler in the Face. <laughs> Oh, no, it, it was even called Comedian Kicks Annoying Woman Heckler in the Face. Okay. And so I thought, uh, I don't think I want to see that, but I can't remember how I'd come across it. I mean, you do come across some weird stuff that's in the, is in the side. But I, you know what? I think I was watching one of your videos. Okay. I was watching... I, I, um, the, I don't do any specialist videos. I don't want you to think that... There's no. any sort of link there. <laughs> There's no misogyny, no overt, miso overt misogyny that I detected. But, um, sorry, that sounded <laughs> bad. I didn't mean it to sound like that. But uh, in the sidebar, though, it just threw up suddenly these heckler videos. And so I clicked on this guy. I was like, he's not really going to kick her in the face. And he, I'm glad to say he didn't. Okay. And it was just a guy sort of obnoxiously, basically just... There was a woman who was being obnoxious, and he just bullied her into submission until she left tearfully. It was horrible. Oh, God. And most of, the, most of the comments were just like, yeah, you fucking taught her a lesson, but I wish you'd kicked her in the face. <laughs> and, then the, and then there was a load, a load of really angry comments from people saying, you wasted my time. <laughs> you specifically said that you were going to kick a woman in the face. And now I discover, having watched the whole five and a half minutes of the video, that you did no such thing. And that, that's five and a half minutes I'll never get back because you are lying. You're not, you're not a proper misogynist at all. <laughs> you're just a sort of slightly tedious bully. So do you think when, you, when people click on your videos... Do you, what is it that you think people are looking for? To your fan base, what is it? I mean, obviously, it's not kicking a woman in the face. But what, what, are, what are the qualities you think that you particularly are known for in your in, internet work? Shit, man. I don't know. I never really think about it like that. I, I always think, well, maybe I'll get around ten or 20,000 views from some... You know, I've got, like, nearly 60,000 subscribers. Yeah. 40,000 of which can't be fucking bothered to actually <laughs> watch anything that I put up. But um, doesn't that isn't the idea of a subscriber that as soon as you create a thing they automatically get yeah, it? Yeah, but they think ah, I'm not gonna watch that. Oh my god! Okay. <laughs> so generally, unless they go viral, they hover at around the ten or twenty thousand view mark, right? Okay. But then occasionally, and as I say, generally when I'm not in it, um, they they cross over the the counting song that had a massive leg up because it was Syriac who was animating that, and yes. he is a hero an animation hero on YouTube anyway. His stuff's amazing. Even though this was quite different from his other stuff, people sort of tuned in, checked it out. And, uh, and because my song, the counting song, fitted well with what he was doing there, you know, it, it worked and, they, and they, uh, they liked it. Also, I have another thing where it's me and my daughter, Hope, yes, talking... Yes, that's talking about like three and a half three million Three and a half now, million, right. so, yeah. And that, I think, in retrospect, probably 
got passed around because it seemed to be there's a lot of people arguing about this as a kind of feminist text. Yes. Basically, if you haven't seen it, it's, it's my daughter who was five at the time. And she's a Star Wars obsessive. And she had seen um, Return of the Jedi and become obsessed with the scene in Jabba's palace where Leia is uh, uh, his slave. And she was saying to me, oh, you know, um, you know the, when Leia is Jabba's slave, you know the outfit that Jabba picked out for her? I actually think it's really nice. (laughs) And it's actually a pretty good look for her. And I was saying, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are people that say, do you know what the word demeaning is? No. Well, it's a bit, it's a bit, it's not very nice. And it's a bit embarrassing to make a woman dress like that. Well, I don't care because I think she looks really nice. And I think if you want to dress like that, you can. It's, it's lovely. And I think it concludes with her saying, well, if I was a slave, I'd keep the clothes and then run away, but exactly. I'd still have the clothes. Yeah. Which is so lovely. Yeah. And you can see why it, that's an interesting topic for feminist debate. Absolutely. Because, you know, I think of myself as, as a progressive parent that doesn't want to uh, impose any uh, ideas about what a woman should be like or how a woman should think or behave. But with the best will in the world... Who knows what influences she's having to deal with, my daughter, you know? And who knows how much of this is really how she feels and how much uh, are things that she has absorbed um, from the culture around her. And it's interesting, right? It's an interesting area. And the fact you make your wife wear a Princess Leia costume around the There's house. There's that as well. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, she wears a chain. It's a, such a nice chain, though. <laughs> it's a very expensive chain. Anyway, so that... that crossed over because there was these guys called the Brothers McLeod who also did some animation for a a sketch I did about Bowie recording uh, uh, his album Low in the studio with Tony Visconti and Eno. And so the Brothers McLeod put some animation to this little conversation with me and my daughter and yeah, that crossed over massively. So did you, I mean, I was was trying to sort of work backwards from how that sketch came about. You must have had the conversation with your daughter and then thought, this is funny. Yeah, so... I'll start recording it. Right, so I've always got the phone in my pocket, right? And um, so you've got got a sort of quick key button just to start the recorder because it's always useful in case you think of stuff or whatever. And uh, so she said that to me, first of all. She was like, you know, I think Princess Leia actually looks really nice. I think he picked out a nice outfit. And I was like, oh, mate. Okay, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) So I... I say, so I start recording, and I, and I say, I'm always trying to be super respectful. I'm like, do you mind if I record that? Uh, even though, <laughs> bear in mind, I'll, I'm, I'm your father and I can cut off your food supply. <laughs> <laughs> and, and do you mind, based on the fact you have no understanding of the ramifications? Exactly, this is yeah, going to be online right. forever. Is there any way you could help me glorify myself and further my own career <laughs> with your naive ramblings? <laughs> Yes, excellent. Uh, now, I just want you to pick up from uh, the thing you said about, uh, the wonderfully naive thing you said about uh, <laughs> Leia just there. Uh, no, 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 that wasn't quite as naive as when you said it before. <laughs> Let's try that again. And do you, do you when, when you produced that one, when you released it on YouTube, did, did you think to yourself, well, this, is, this, this could be a banger, this is going to be one that gets, I mean, is it your most popular video? Yeah. Did you, do you select, do you kind of, you know, are there other conversations you recorded with her that you thought that's probably not worth animating? Uh, yes. I mean, I record a lot of stuff, though. Um, and, yeah, there are, there are other um, <laughs> very... There's another one that's quite problematic. Um, <laughs> for, I mean, I think it's sweet in a way because it's totally innocent. 
But she says uh, she's got a friend at school called Priyanka, and um, she's Asian. And so she said, um, I've got, oh, I can't remember what she said now. Damn it. Um, what was it? I've got it here. <laughs> Um, this is in the project to get round to folder. Uh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Is it down here? I'm not sure. Sorry, I fucked up that story. But um, basically, she was describing like, uh, oh, God. Oh, yes, that's right. She was like, um, my friend Priyanka is half Indian and half human. <laughs> 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 and so, um, so I was like, right. Okay, I've got to do some explaining. Um, but f- first, let me press record. No, I, so I was recording at that point. Okay. Like, I do record quite a lot of stuff as, uh, in the course of my life, right? So sure. conversations with... And, and with my wife. Like, sometimes I... Uh, my, my wife doesn't like listening to anything I'm involved with, so she won't hear this. And <laughs> so if, if you do know her, please don't tell her that sometimes when we're arguing, I'll record the argument. <laughs> Because I'm fascinated by how reasonable or not I'm being. Yes. Okay, yes. You know what I mean? Absolutely, like in, yeah. In the heat of an argument, There's I can convince going, myself. Yeah. Like, I'm right. What the fuck is her problem? Why doesn't she agree with me, Jesus? And then, but now I'm like, oh, maybe I'm, uh, you know, afterwards when you're playing the thing back in your mind, you're like, maybe the reason she was so angry with, with me is because I wasn't right. And I'm... <laughs> And I was being a fucking dick. And so and I are, thought, you, are you recording that purely from, with that lofty motive of going, I will address my own behaviour? Half behavior. that. Okay. And half because I know that it'll stop me being so much of a dick. Ah, okay. This is almost sort of like Andy Warhol kind of, sort of separating the world and the recording of the world. It's, it gives you an emotional buffer. Almost. Well, it's almost as if you are creating a, a phantom audience or a group of people or your peers in front of whom you would not want to behave too badly. That sounds like a very effective therapy you've accidentally invented. I mean, it's sort of... Surely this is marketable online. Well, it's a little bit... uh, The the, the best thing, of course, would just be to not behave like a dick and (laughs) not have to record the thing. But um, still, there are some times when 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 the argument... Is escalating, or maybe it's just you feel like, oh, Jesus, we're going round and round now. It's getting out of control, and we've got to shut this thing down because otherwise, bad things are going to be said, and it's going to be exhausting, and I'm never going to get my fish fingers, and <laughs> all that. I'm joking. I make my own fish fingers. <laughs> um, and so, at that point, it's it's useful, and you pull it out and, and surreptitiously start recording, and then I'm like, okay, so um, what I was saying. <laughs> Is that I, I'm, not, I'm not so sure that it is unreasonable for me to paint a mural of my face <laughs> on our shed. And do you, does that mean you've got, you presumably keep all the material? Have you considered getting one of those animated, or are, is it too problematic to, to think that? I mean, does uh, it paint you in a bad light? Would she not be happy with you turning another facet of your personal life into? No, she would not be happy. She would be, she would be justifiably upset. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I wouldn't do anything like that without asking her about it. I asked her before I uh, got the conversation with my daughter animated, mm-hmm. and I think I, I used there was some stuff of um, 
my son and my, like my son dancing around with, a, with a, a thing called a crazy daisy that you plug into the hose, okay. your garden hose, and it whips around. And I filmed him dancing in the sunshine when he was like about five or something. And I played that at my live shows. And I put some prodigy music over the top of it. <laughs> <laughs> this, it's interesting. There seems to be a parallel here with one of the criticisms that's sometimes leveled at someone like Louis C.K., whereby he's telling quite intimate details of oh, yeah. his family life right. through, the, through the form of stand-up. Yes. And you're, whereas you're kind of recording or videoing or kind of appropriating, effectively, the lives of people around you and, and your own life yeah. in order to, to create things. Now, Bet- betraying the trust of your nearest and dearest for your These are for your, your words, own, not mine. <laughs> your, well, no, because I think those things myself as well sometimes when I see other people doing them. And I'm always... I wouldn't want to be... I mean, of course, I am doing that to some degree. I'm not like, why... I'm, I'm thinking this is going to be a funny bit in the show and people are going to enjoy this and that they won't necessarily be thinking what a genius Adam Buxton is for presenting this. I hope they'll just be enjoying the, like, the joy of a little guy jumping around in, a, in, yes. a, in some um, water from a hose. It is very joyous. And whenever I play it at my gigs, it, I, I feel very happy you know, when I'm watching it. Because it is one of those things, it's like, you can see the audience receiving the joy from it. It's a joyful, innocent scene. Yes. You know, and, and so it works. And I think, well, that is pure enough, that, that, that joy there, for that to be shared without me having to get too bent out of shape about my motives. So this is Adam. I mean, you all, you all love him and know him. We all know him and love him. Um, he, he, what, a, what a lovely guy. And I really appreciated the. I mean, I was kind of nervous because he's someone who I've absolutely grown up with as a podcaster. Him, him and Joe's podcast, we'll talk about it at length, as you'll hear. Um, it was really, really just special. Not just funny, not just brilliant, but just really, really special to me. So uh, I'm so pleased that he was familiar with the show. He brought some lovely gifts along. And that, that all-important very first moment when he shouted, fucking hell, from, uh, from offstage, set the tone for the whole night and we had so much fun he stayed with me we slightly overran and I'm expecting a bill and we'll just see whether we got away with that or not um so thank you to Adam uh much very much appreciated I hope your wife doesn't listen to this that sounds awful but I'm uh, I, I hope she does listen to this and forgives you uh so on to other stuff I have got so many podcasts going on at the moment but they're sort of flying around my head I'm trying to get uh, Justin Morehouse episode out, the Matt Kirshen episode out as well. Uh, I'm prioritising uh, Mr. Morehouse and Mr. George Egg. Brilliant episode with him recorded recently uh, around Comcom Towers. And uh, there's, it's not a tower, it's a flat. Um, but uh, I want to get those ones out because I really want you to go and see their shows in Edinburgh. Some of you won't know George Egg. He's a brilliant club comic, a prop act, a visual, uh, visual one-liner guy, really. Um, and he's just brilliant. It's his first Edinburgh show. It's called Anarchist Cook. And I'm really hoping I can bring you that episode next week so that you get genned up on George. So you'll go and see him at the Edinburgh Festival this August. Ditto Justin Morehouse, although he's much higher profile. I think a lot more of you, he's got a, a much higher Edinburgh profile. Uh, a lot of you will have been to see him in the past. Really good episode with Justin. The Matt Kirshen one is very exciting as well. And I'm about to go, well, listen, I'm on my way to Latitude Festival in about an hour, uh, and I'm going to interview Charlie Baker. He's brilliant. I want to get that one out as well. He's at Edinburgh as well. I've listened to a preview of his show, and he was kind enough to send me, and uh, it's an excellent show, so I'm really looking forward to that. 
podcast with him. And then I get back from Latitude and I'm going to Montreal, to the Montreal Comedy Festival, uh, at which I'm going to be uh, interviewing Patton Oswalt, who is literally one of my very, very favourite comedians. Um, I'm really nervous. about. I get, I get much more nervous before podcast interviews than... I, sorry about all the doors banging. It's not me. Um, I get very nervous before podcast interviews, much more so than I do before stand-up gigs. I've no idea why, um, but, uh, but I do. And Patton is sort of probably... I've been sort of saying to people conversationally, yeah, yeah, I'm really scared. He's my favourite comic. He might very well be my favourite comic ever. So... Um, I'm trying hard not to get all stupidly nervous about it, but um, but it's not working. Uh, and I'm also going to try and bring you some podcasts with uh, with some other brilliant American comics. Uh, I'm not going to name them because they're they're in the diary, but they're they're non live recordings. They might go up the Swanee. We'll have to see. Uh, but there's some very exciting people coming from that as well. And then it's a hop, skip, and a jump. Suddenly we're in Edinburgh, and I've got all of these uh, podcasts coming up exclusively. I can now reveal that I've got Tommy Tiernan booked for the Edinburgh podcast, as well as John Lloyd, Jason Byrne, Ashling B, Catherine Ryan, Ronnie Cheng. Just such great, great acts. So loads of stuff coming up. And uh, for some reason, I've just giddily told you all about it because it's all spinning around my head going, do your research, Goldsmith. Make sure you don't ask people about projects they have nothing to do with. Um, But that's the score. That's where we are. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for your donations. Many of you have been to previews recently and occasionally pressed the odd greasy fiver into my hand. It turns out that the the something cool that people like to say when they put a a small cash donation, five, ten, twenty pounds, or on one memorable occasion, one pound per show... Uh, they had the, uh, the, the good grace to put it in notes there rather than pound coins, mm. as I'd have done. Um, but the, uh, we know the, the, the thing is, if you like the show, you want to support it. If you see me at a gig, chuck some cash into my hand and say something cool. There's something cool that most people are saying. I would say the, current, uh, the head of the leaderboard at the moment is, oh, I'm supposed to say something cool, aren't I? I quite like that. It has a certain, a certain charm. Um, if you are not likely to see me in person anytime soon, and let's face it, there are many thousands of you, so that's likely... That, uh, that very few of you actually uh, will meet me in person. At the moment, at least, I, ha- I hope we all, we all meet and kiss and make love. Um, but in the meantime, I would very much like it. If you wanted to support the show, you can do that uh, by clicking on the PayPal donate button at comedianscomedian.com. Uh, you can find it on the website. Now, I'm, I'm just going to get out there and say it. We've launched the new website. I'm certain by the time you hear this that we will have. Uh, probably you'll hear this about 24 hours from now, currently Thursday lunchtime. Uh, and the new website, it's still comedianscomedian.com. If we've managed to import everything from Podbean, if we've managed to migrate everything across, uh, then you will see a new and very exciting website where you can go to each individual page, each individual episode page. You can comment underneath them on Facebook. There'll be links to Reddit. There'll be links to the, the ComComPod YouTube page uh, on the front. There's a word cloud. It's all searchable. Thank you to Stu Newnham, who I think got left off, uh, he got left off the list of uh, log legends last week for his, his podcast listener who helped me do some logging and tagging so that it's all searchable. Uh, I'm really excited about it. You'll have noticed, I guess, by now as well, we've got a new logo. Thank you to Andre Pattenden uh, and also JQ for that, uh, for their various uh, roles in organising it. And the, the merch is only around the corner. I've got some great merch ideas and some of you have voted on your T-shirt ideas as well. Um, I think there'll probably be a picture of the T-shirt on the website, but it doesn't exist yet, so you can't buy it. Keep checking back. Maybe you'll listen to this months from now and it will exist, so why not check? Um, head to the website, please, and uh, there will, of course, be a new shiny 
PayPal donate button there. So if you like the show, if it's made a difference to your life, to your work, to your creativity, to the cakes you're baking or the pictures you're painting while you listen, or certainly if you feel it's made a difference to your jokes, if uh, if you are feeling a more confident, inspired comedian or creative person or writer or artist because of it, then please, it's up to you. If you enjoy it, it's up to you to pay for it. Now, obviously, that is entirely up to you. It is not obligatory in any way, shape or form. Um, but if you like feeling like part of the gang, and if you want to, as they say in America, if you want to give me a little kickback, something to keep the lights on, then you can do that at comedianscomedian.com. Thank you for listening. Uh, tweet me uh, at comcompod. You can email me info at comedianscomedian.com. And I knew there was something. I knew it. I must remember to advertise the Ballam Free Fringe Fundraiser. I'm going to try very hard to find it in my notes now. It is, here we go. It's from Friday the 24th to Sunday the 26th of July at the Bedford in Ballam. Uh, the full lineup is on ballamfreefringe.com with loads and loads of uh, shows from people who've been on this show, from Richard Herring, from Nick Doody, uh, and from people who will be on the show in the fullness of time. Alistair Barry, Stephen Carlin, Sophie Hagen, Daniel Ward, John Luke Roberts, assuming they all say yes. Uh, and, of course, Chris Coltrane, the brilliant Chris, Chris Coltrane, a very funny political comedian and lovely weirdo, uh, is, uh, is on there as well. Um, it's a fundraiser for the PBH Free Fringe. Both the shows I'm doing this year are on the PBH Free Fringe. So uh, go along and see that at the Bedford in Ballam. If you're in London over that weekend, the 24th to the 26th of July, there's loads and loads of free shows and an opportunity to put some money in the bucket and support the Free Fringe organisation. Are there any animators? This is the last thing, and then we'll get straight back into Mr. Buxton. Are there any animators out there who are listening to this show? I feel like someone got in touch with me about two years ago, and I think I made a note of it, but I can't find them in my email. If you're an animator, if you're the sort of person who could take a 20 or 30 second clip of this show and then animate it, and you know, not, not off your own back, but uh, we, we talk about it, um, uh, and then we could put it on YouTube and it would help drive people on YouTube towards this show. This is something we're talking about with Mr. Buxton and uh, I would be very interested in uh, in hearing from you if you're an animator, if you're a fan of the show and you'd like to help me out. Uh, we could even discuss some filthy lucre provided some of these lovely bastards pay. So get in touch with me, info at comedianscomedian.com. That's all for now. Join the Facebook group, have a look at the website and let's get back to the brilliant Mr. Adam Buxton. <laughs> While we're on the while we're on the subject of joy and sharing, one of the one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about was the way that the Adam and Joe podcasts celebrated the creativity of the audience. Oh yes, I think there were loads of. I mean, that was the first podcast I remember listening to. I was completely hooked on it, oh. and it invaded my language. And you know, I'll still sing Upturned Plug. I'll still uh-huh, sing Lock yeah. the Task Bar. You know, yeah. but what a some of those plugs. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. some of those some of those games that you invented that you produced what what something that struck me was how incredibly generous you were in opening those games to the audience and letting the the you sort of you democratized the creativity of people who didn't have a radio show uh-huh and how, I, what, what kind of games are you thinking of like text the nation and shit yeah absolutely yeah just oh, the, okay. the way that you would like the segments right? yeah or the appropriation i think originally came from yeah and uh and a listener who'd written in and said i right. do this thing and rather than go oh that's funny here are some of ours you'd frequently be going send in your own ones and you know there were things like with the, the originator of uh, of uh, the stevenage situation sure the fact that he'd sent in a comic book of his own life yeah and you really seem to revel in that and I, I i thought that made the show so generous and so warm that it actually given that you are i mean I, 
you know, this is, obviously isn't factually given accurate. Given that I'm cold and evil. Just is this where this is leading? <laughs> no, 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 no. But given that you're... Um, I, I think of you and Joe as kind of having invented YouTube before YouTube. Like you're you were, right! Yes, <laughs> there we go. It's factual. <laughs> Finally! <laughs> but, you know, you, yeah. you were the absolutely dictionary definition of people noodling in your bedroom as soon as the technology came out that you could yeah. do a thing with and make a toy move around. Noodling. Yeah. <laughs> um, Furiously noodling. <laughs> and I, I just... I, it's not even... It's not even really a question. I just wanted to, just to hear your response to that. Well, it, man, um, that's nice of you, first of all. And, uh, yes, it's the thing that totally transformed the radio show. And my relationship with Joe, really, was when the audience got involved and started interacting. And we realized that, in a way, the pressure was off us because it's so hard to um, fill up three hours of radio. You know, I mean, I suppose there was a lot of people that were would have been happy if we played more music and <laughs> talked less. But, um, you know, we, we felt like we had an opportunity to show off and have fun, and, and we were always keen on doing stuff that was quite well worked over. And, we, you know, we'd, make these, we'd do these songs and stuff, and it would take us ages. And that was the thing. We always shot ourselves in the foot. Like when we were doing our TV show, we'd do our toy movies, our little recreations of films and TV shows with toys. But they, they would take up, it would take us about nine months to make a series, and just the fucking toy movies would take six months, like one uh, a month for each one of them. And then we'd run out of time, we'd have to just do lame links for the rest of the show. And uh, it was a little bit like that with the radio show, we'd, we'd run out of time, like we'd do these Song Wars things, and then we'd think, Jesus, what else are we going to do? And some weeks you'd be okay, maybe something funny happened at Sainsbury's, and you can talk about that, and... Or I'd, I'd talk about something and Joe would pour a bucket of scorn over it. <laughs> yeah. And that would be funny. But, uh, but yeah, the thing that really made it something different um, was when people started getting in touch. And, and obviously you're only as good as the stuff you're being sent in. And, you know, we, we, would, we would sift through. There was, there's occasional slightly banal ones. But we would get quite a few really funny things that were properly funny. And maybe, maybe some of them were like comedians or I don't know what, or proper writers. I know a lot of artists and animators used to listen. And they, they just seemed like a talented group, you know. And um, every week we'd have some genuinely funny little bits coming in that it was fun to read out. One, one of the, the key things I think about the dynamic between you and Joe is that you made each other laugh a lot of the time. And I, I, listening to the show, I always imagined that you had certain elements of it you'd prepared that you knew about and certain elements of it that you were... Like something, I, I, almost like um, uh, uh, a pattern that I noticed in, in the podcast. You, I mean, I, I really can't not mention how incredibly politely and quietly you've just poured that water, because <laughs> no... I, and I realise that ruins the point of you doing it, but no other guest has been so, uh, so kind. Um, From a radio guy. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, this is my seventh or eighth rodeo. Yeah, um, I've also unzipped myself. <laughs> and uh, yeah. one, of the, one, of the, one, of, one of the key components of your relationship, I thought, was that you, you, it, you did two things. One, you made each other laugh and you tried to surprise each other. And two, you seemed to improvise by continuing talking to the end of a breath, not knowing where the sentence was going. Uh-huh. 
And I, is that is that right? Is that accurate? Do you think that you would? There's, there seems to be so many moments that I, I can't think of any specific lines, but the sort of the, the sense of it, the, the the feel of it would be that you'd gone, yeah, maybe I'll go outside of that train and then see what happens. Yeah, right. maybe, Do you know what I mean? maybe. It would kind of fall out. That yeah, way. it's sort of a, a little bit nerves. And um, also I, I used to get pleased when I saw that Joe was beginning to smile because he can be quite haughty. And okay. <laughs> there were times when we started doing radio stuff when we were on XFM remember the first show we did there and we were filling in for Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant um so quite nervous and uh I brought in some you know I had some ideas for what I was going to talk about written down and it was pretty bad stuff it was I think it was some things about going on holiday how do you pack when you're going on holiday I don't know (laughs) and um and Joe just sat there with his arms folded and just looked at me while I was introducing this. I think he was a bit nervous, but his way of dealing with the nerves was just to completely hang me out to dry. Uh, and he was sat there, and he, you know, I was like looking at him, sort of going, this, this would be a good point for you to jump in and make this a fun conversation. And there'd just be silence. And then, at some, and then I would do that thing of just saying it because I was so upset. I'd be like, so, I mean... You could leap in here if you wanted to. <laughs> and you could hear my voice, like, shaking and stuff. And then you're like, and Joe sort of, oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I don't really, you know, it's not something I've ever really thought about. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, here's I Believe in a Thing Called Love by the Darkness again. <laughs> so um, you, I mean, you, you both approached that, I guess. You weren't, you weren't like trained performers. You weren't club comics that were then no. building a relationship between you. You, weren't, you were only a double act in so much as you enjoyed working together and working yeah. on things and creating things together. Yeah, we were friends since we were 12. Yeah. So that was, that was our background. And we, we'd never been in front of a live audience. I mean, right the way through. Well, we did things like when we were on Channel 4 when we did the Adam and Joe show. Occasionally, we would go to do like a little live thing in a club. The, do you know the Idler magazine? They mm-hmm. would sometimes have little one-nighters and John Cooper Clark would turn up or whatever and we'd do some bullshit. And um, so we did those. They weren't very good and I would always get absolutely hammered <laughs> to try and deal with the nerves, which I don't know if you know, but it usually has a deleterious effect on your <laughs> stage presence. Um, but I've only I've only ever done that once. Have I did, you? I yeah. did it tactically. I was incredible. I can never do it again. Oh, were you good though? Yeah, well, it was late in live, so it's a certain set of circumstances. Ah, right. But I was absolutely smashed. It was Have the you seen? Was it on I've tape? Ever played that room. I don't. It was certainly visible in the other rooms because people they live broadcast it to the other rooms. People pointed out that I. But you haven't seen it back since. No. Nor so would you I. might be insane. No, I. Well, I remember being congratulated afterwards. Oh, but really? When it, afterwards, Did the obviously, I was hammered. Go something like this. I was fucking brilliant. <laughs> oh, you were there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but very, da- very dangerous. Absolutely. To, yeah. Uh, to oh, yeah. No, exactly. If you start getting into that, Jack, that's bad. But um, so on the radio, it, it was we we just relaxed much more, and we had the audience helping us out, and it was just. Really fun, and whenever I saw Joe sort of beginning to giggle, I'd think, ah, oh, this, this is good, and that would make me giggle. And then, yes, when we were talking about the fiberglass bums at, um, <laughs> at uh, Pleasurewood Hills theme park, um, I mean, that was something that I felt like I could laugh forever and ever if no one had stopped yeah. <laughs> But I'm always aware that, like, some people are digging this, but some people are listening going, fuck off, stop. <laughs> 
You know what I mean? Like, yes. stop being so self-indulgent, play a record, it's not all about you, you know. So I'm like, okay. Were, you, were they telling you that they were thinking that? Were you getting, were you ever amongst the hordes of emails and... We tweets? used to get that on, on at XFM, there was, Joe would look at the computer and he would read all the messages that, uh, that would come in and the texts and everything. And I would say the vast majority were negative. Really? Yeah. Just saying, shut up, play some music, you're not funny. And, um, and then he would read them out to me. <laughs> and we had a big fucking Barney, like, on air, more or less, when, when, uh, in between songs, uh, or rather in between links, when a song was playing, mm. he read one of these out, and he was like, oh, look, here's someone else saying that we should just shut up and we're not funny and we should just play some more records. I'm like, man, don't, that isn't helpful when you read that out to me. Yeah. That's not building me up. Fucking hell. And then it all got really frosty, and our producer was like, okay, guys, calm down, calm down. Let's play three more Darkness records in a row. (laughs) (laughs) And just get everything into perspective. There's an element of that, of of your personal relationship with an audience that I want to to get onto, but I I can't move off the Adam and Joe section without talking about the jingles. Oh, yeah. So when you when you created the jingles again, and it is just this is this with me listening in the car, thinking he must have done them like that. I I felt like rather than sit down and write the lyrics, you kind of improvised around the theme in front of a recorder. Yeah. And again, I got that sense that you were just kind of going to the end of the sentence, seeing sure. where it went. Exactly. Is, is that right? Yeah. It's like uh, you know, I mean, most I wouldn't consider myself a proper songwriter, but most proper songwriters use the kind of Paul McCartney technique of just, they got a tune in their head and they'll just go, scrambled eggs, blah, 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 you know. And they'll just sing nonsense. Yeah. And then they'll write something deep once they've got the whole structure of the song locked. Yes. And so um, with me, I can't write music. Um, So that's difficult. But one day I got a new laptop and it had this program called GarageBand. Yes, of course. And... Uh, I was playing around with it, and I love investigating and playing around with new software. And, and I found in all the loops there, and if you're not familiar with GarageBand, it's a very straightforward bit of music-making software that comes loaded with uh, loops that you can just drag and drop onto a timeline. And if you place them end-to-end, they will make a, a seamless, plausible-sounding bit of actual music. <laughs> that's copyright-free. That's copyright-free. Yeah. And not only that, but they have longer pieces of music as well, like little jingles ready to go for your podcast or whatever you're doing. And so I was like, oh, this is fucking brilliant. And so I dragged them on, and the first one I dragged out was called something like, uh, it was called, what was it, Tropical Island or something, or Island Song. And um, I put it on, and it was all these lovely horns, and I just started singing, sausages, who can you see my lovely sausages? (laughs) Uh, which later was on the Me Box, right? That and then song, I did yeah, a little right. video there. There's a video for that on YouTube now, and uh, because that's, I think it, it's weird. I, I think singing about food is often a useful way because it's such a basic part of everybody's life, okay. and it's it's sort of um, uncontroversial. You don't really have to invest any emotional energy in it, but it seems like it's got sure. some truth in it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know what I'm saying, but. <laughs> But when it but when it comes to when it comes to improvising and making those things like the one that always, that always sticks in my mind is the uh, it might be good it might be one of the weaker bits but that's cool I like weaker bits oh yeah I can add up to three yeah love it and that and you say you're not a, a writer but some of, you can write a hook 
there's some incredible like bilge swirling running around my head from songs of yours and Joe's. And I, I mean, it was primarily you, was it? Were you the driving force behind? The... I did the jingles. Joe did one jingle, and it became the most popular fucking jingle. <laughs> Which one was that? Which was the was it the uh, text the nation one? Which yes, one? Oh. retro text the nation. Oh. I Copy used to listen to yeah. Adam and Joe, really? but Just I listened to Dirge as well. <laughs> fucking Dirge. <laughs> no, it was it was the best, and apparently. Is this true? I can't remember. I think Paul McCartney heard it and thought it was good. Maybe I'm making that up. <laughs> I, that may have been something that he told me and I believed. Yeah. <laughs> to torture me. So. So did you have a kind of a master plan to, or any kind of plan, to, to, to where, where all of your creativity on that show could go? Were you just kind of busking it, having a laugh with your friend, feeling like you were getting away with it? Or were you thinking, this is going to form the bedrock of the next 15 years of my career? Oh, no, no. Um, the, the, the former. <laughs> um, yeah, we were, we were pleased to be uh, doing something together. We, at that point, we couldn't really agree or on anything else to do. Like, we'd sort of exhausted trying to think of TV and film ideas. What, really. what, what sorts of things were you thinking of and then discarding? What, what we tried you, to do a film together. We, tried, we started writing a film together, and um, we just weren't very good at actually sitting in the same room. Like, when we did the Adam and Joe show, we would often just go off for the sake of expedience a lot of the time and, and just do things individually and then meet up okay. when we needed to. And, um, because we trusted each other, you know, we just thought that we were each other was funny, and um, so it was cool. There was nothing to discuss. It was like, yeah, you do that bit, I'll do this bit, and see you tomorrow. Um, but it's not a very useful way of working, you know, and it, and it causes th- throws up problems and competitive issues that aren't helpful. And when because you've got a limited amount of time, and you both want to get your projects in, yeah, and then you, it, it's not it's not a useful basis for like. Offering criticism and stuff, for example. You know, if you, if you see something in the other one's work, and you think, eh, that could be a bit better, you can't really say anything because they'll go, well, fucking hell, I just spent two fucking days on it. Why, where were you when I was doing it? You know, you could help out and all that kind of thing. It's all like, we never had that conversation. <laughs> we're too middle class. <laughs> Instead, we just sort of go, yeah, I'm not so... Um, are you happy with that? <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. fine about it. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I don't want to change it. Um, It was more like that. But then, um, so, yeah, we would just, uh, I think we were, you know, I think all partnerships, all double acts go through a point where they're heartily sick of the sight of each other and they just need some time apart. And with any luck, the the bedrock of their love will draw them back. and, And that was the case with me and Joe. And it was so nice being on the radio with him again, I wasn't really thinking about anything else. And then when it started, and we'd, we'd done the XFM thing for a while, and we certainly felt a little bit unwelcome there, and I wasn't super confident. I thought, hmm, we're probably quite annoying on the radio, so we're lucky we've been given this uh, gig on Six Music, and we shouldn't take it for granted. And then gradually, when it started, we started relaxing, and it started becoming more fun. It was like, oh, this is really... This is really enjoyable. And then I realized, like, at a certain point, I stopped resenting all the work that went into it. Because there were weeks where I was like, this is all I've fucking done this week, is write jingles and stupid songs and try and think of crap to talk to Joe about that he's going to pour buckets of scorn on. <laughs> well, you know, and, and I've got nothing else to show for it. What's happened to my so-called career? And also, the radio is not a big payday. So the rent's got to be paid. What am I doing? Fuck. 
But then um, after a while, I thought, actually, you know, it leads to a lot of other things. And just keeping yourself creative for its own sake, like having to do stuff, something every week, forcing yourself to do those songs. Yeah, some of them were good, some of them not so good. But just forcing yourself, having the, the show to do at the end of every week was, was really useful. And you were, you were also doing your own solo projects at the time. Were you? I, I don't know about the chronology of it, but I remember seeing you do someone that became famous guy. He was the, the actor. Oh, character. yeah. I think I saw you at the 100 Club. Oh, right. Holy shit. That was a long time ago. Was that with David Cross and people? Yes, it was. Yes, it was David right. Cross and friends. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, How, what were your experiences of doing that? Did you, did you do that very often? No. And that was, I think, around, around 2004. I remember watching uh, a program about Edinburgh and seeing some of the acts on there. And I'd never been to the Fringe before. And some of the acts I thought were really good. But then some of them I thought, fucking hell, I, I'm pretty sure I could do... As well, if not better than some the, of that The origin stuff. of many a comedian. Exactly, exactly. And I thought, well, I've got nothing else going on. Um, maybe I should try that, you know, and pay my dues uh, backwards because I've never really been in front of a live audience before at that point. And so, yeah, I started doing characters because that seemed less terrifying than getting up as myself. I wouldn't know what I would say. And Joe and I, you know, we share the desire to kind of uh, talk about what is already out there, you know. Yeah. Uh, talk about pop culture or, or, or TV or films or whatever it happens to be. And so it seemed like the doing characters that could comment on that kind of stuff, the famous guy character was, was a weird kind of Russell Crowe-alike, just a stupid American guy who was a big film star who would uh, just... Um, I'm trying to remember, like, what, was, what the point of it was. He was sort of, uh, he was going, he was talking about, it was kind of a satire of Hollywood types of yeah. films. He was sort of shouting about all the great stuff that he'd done. Yes. I think you were wearing a jumpsuit. I was wearing like a, a flight suit from the yeah. shuttle. Yeah. <laughs> um, and because I was in a film called They Crashed from Space There. Yeah. About, uh, uh, he was kind of a weird Canadian maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it's about, it stars me as the captain of a ship that crashes from space there. Yeah. And uh, it's exciting. Uh, and uh, I got paid $10 million and uh, $2 million. <laughs> and, and did you, how did you, how did you bring yourself to that? As someone who wasn't a live performer, thinking, I'm going to try and pay my dues to, you know, this is something I need to do. Yeah. Did you, did you feel like, how did you connect to the rest of the, the comedy community? Like backstage with David Cross, about to go on and do that, were you thinking, oh, yeah, this is, this is a, a thing I do, this is just one of the, the many strings to my bow, or were you thinking, Christ, this is terrifying, I'm yeah. going to make it work? No, Christ, this is terrifying, and I, I almost certainly have already been busted for being an interloper, and there was David Cross, Kristen Schaal, and yes. Eugene Merman yes. in the tiny green room, all those people I've got nothing but enormous respect and admiration for, and I thought, fuck, this is, oh, I'm going to do my famous guy thing, my bad American accent. This isn't good. And they were, they were all doing stuff as themselves as well. And, and that, that in, the, in the world of the sort of perceived stand-up hierarchy, it's like people, a, a, a man or a woman in their mic, just being themselves, that's at the top. And then a little bit further down, you've got character comedians. And then a little bit further down still, you've got prop comedians. And, uh, you know, I and mean, this is bullshit, right? But this is sometimes what I 
this is what I'd absorbed, and I thought... Yeah, I, it sounds more like your appraisal of yeah, it than, than exactly. how it goes. So you were sort of putting yourself... These were my prejudices that I'd somehow arrived at. And um, so I felt very much uh, an outsider. So when you were using that kind of... The, the fact that it was famous guy, that, or, the, or what became that, that character, that kind of bombastic, shouting kind of comic... Yeah. Um, your shouting character, rather, was that based on... Um, something in you like your 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 kind of natural state is quite a sort of like your your kind of your go-to comic voice almost is like an angry i mean we, we need only look at the first couple of moments of this show you know that your <laughs> that that's your kind of go-to position that's your would you agree that the, the, your kind Sometimes. of your, your comic voice is shouty yeah well maybe shouty and angry and kind of i don't mean these things negatively they're no. very funny but like i know i remember from what do you, you mean very well <laughs> yeah well there we are exactly. you know from, from, um... No, it's funny, isn't it? Well, I think it's funny when people shout. Um, some <laughs> it some, is people, un- it's some undoubtedly... people don't appreciate it. Too much shouting is uh, wearing and uh, tiresome. But do you see the, the, the kind of the connection I'm trying to make? That yeah. maybe there is a, an anger in you. We were, to- we, were talking, we were talking backstage. That's a pretty cool way earlier on. We were talking about, um, about uh, filmmakers and how uh, we were both sort of suggesting that the... Um, the guys that make the really bleak films are actually got happy lives. Yeah. It's often said about comics that, you know, it's not, not true probably more than 50% of the time, but there is that kind of inversion of you do on stage what you are not in your real life. Right, you gravitate towards an experience that somehow completes your own or, or, or an area that is missing in your own yes. life. Yes, yeah. so given that you're kind of, that you have that kind of, I remember on, on the Adam and Joe show, you'd frequently be like a, a story about a train would almost inevitably be, or your, your train story would be, oh, I was on the train and this guy was there and he was ruining my day, you know, the, the, letting that kind of angry voice speak. And, and you, you've mentioned already having sort of big rows with your wife that you might record. And I'm just hmm. wondering how much... Have I got rage issues? Well, how much your anger is connected to your creativity? Oh, hmm. I don't know. I do worry sometimes that I do, that I am more rageful than I think. Like I taught, you know, John Ronson, mm-hmm. um, he had a, a show on Radio 4, John Ronson On. I loved that show. And uh, I was excited when he asked me to come on. Actually, the first time he asked me to come on that show was after Joe's film Attack the Block came out. And he emailed me and he said, um, Hi, John Ronson here. <laughs> Uh, I'm doing uh, a show about... This is not a good John Ronson impression. It's great. Please continue. I was just going to say my fiancé will be made up to hear your um, John Ronson impression. She loves both of you. Uh, it's, a, it's about people... What's it called? He, he basically said, like, I thought it would be really interesting to talk to you about, um, like, how, you know, how your career is going versus how Joe's is going. <laughs> and... Uh, and the, the, um, the name of the podcast, or the name of the show is going to be Aiming Low. <laughs> and I really don't want you to take it the wrong way. I love John Ronson, and he's a, a friend, and I love his work. But I did take it the wrong way. <laughs> and I was absolutely crushed. Because I was like, is that how people see me? They see me as like, like the best they can think of me is like, he's happy being a loser man. And um, actually, it wasn't really what John meant. 
he was talking about, because he and I had spoken before, and this is a, a story that he told, I noticed, when he was doing publicity for, for his film, Frank. Uh, he said, I was talking to Adam Buxton outside an award show. I'll stop doing the impression. <laughs> and we were talking about how we both lost uh, uh, a Sony. We hadn't won our Sony Award nomination, blah, 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 years ago. And, um, and he's like, oh, I can't believe I've lost another. You know, when am I ever going to win one? I was like, mate, it doesn't matter. You know, all the stuff that we're into, you and I, you know, we're big music fans. Think of all the bands that we're into. They're not mainstream acts. They're not acts that won awards. They're the acts that were totally in the margins that no one at the time ever gave a shit about. That only in retrospect do we realize how wonderful they were and how inspirational they were, you know. That's who we are! We're the marginal guys! All right, maybe we're not the Velvet Underground, but we're like a cool little band that only nice people know about. So think about it like that. And he was like, for him, apparently, he, he, that was useful. And so he was merely approaching me to celebrate that, but it was the wrong moment. Okay. Because I was really thinking like, fucking Joe, he's got it all together and he's, he's doing what both of us always wanted to do. We always talked about making films and stuff. And I was like, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm rudderless. And so it, it felt at that point like, oh dear, oh dear, I'm just, I've, I've, I've fucked it. But um, so I didn't collaborate with him on that show. I said, listen, John, to be honest, this feels like the wrong time. Um, let's talk about it sincerely in 10 years. <laughs> um, but then he got back to me and said, what about talking about um, the age? No, uh, I'm making him sound like Rick <laughs> from the young ones. The age. <laughs> Why are you so angry, Thatcher? Um, so he did a show. No, actually, it was about about sort of people on medication. And oh, oh no, no, it was about it was about the new designations for mental illness. And one of them was like explosive temper syndrome or whatever. And so I told one of my um, argument with my wife stories um, with John. And at a certain point, he said, "Adam, I'm going to stop you just for a second. You're a really nice guy, and I like you so much." but you sound crazy. <laughs> um, because he, and I was like, shit, maybe, maybe I am crazy. I've got to be more careful. Like, uh, I, would hate, I would hate for anyone to feel intimidated by me or hectored by me, you know what I mean? I certainly feel a certain amount of pent-up frustration every now and again in, in normal situations, but I don't, like, regularly explode and start trashing people on the train or whatever, ever. Um, but so, it's almost there is that, I think that that's what we're talking about, that quality of it being pent up. Right. That it's it kind of almost, it, it generates you. Or, or it, sorry, it, it generates stuff or it, it drives you maybe. It's the fuel. It's the fuel. Maybe it is the fuel. I, I mean, don't you think are, it's the only fuel. You, no, of course. There's alcohol. <laughs> but you are, you are someone, and I, I, I hear myself saying it from time to time on the podcast, become a bit of a cliche for me to sort of say that, oh, you've created a huge amount of work but you i mean i i couldn't keep up there's no way i could look at more than five percent of all the stuff you've done in preparation for this interview five it's a, there's only five percent that's any good so <laughs> don't worry i'm i'm sure i chose the right <laughs> stuff um but uh but you are creating a huge amount of work you're generating a huge amount of work so whether you're do you, do you feel that do you agree no. with that do no. you not have you have you cleverly pulled the wall over our eyes How? i'm i'm 46 that's why it feels like I've done a lot, because I've been alive longer than you have. But you'd done, you had done 
at the time of Adam and Joe, when you were doing the TV shows, you were churning out enormous amounts of stuff. I, it didn't feel like that to us. It felt like we were super unproductive, and the channel was always saying, come on, why don't you do a few more things, do some different shows that are less labor-intensive, and then you can be on TV more often, and you can build an audience. We were like, no, 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 no. We've got to do the... We've got to take it... We've got to make it all ourselves, and it's got to be just so, and... It was, in retrospect, they were sort of right, and we were sort of right. Um, they, there could have been a better balance between... We could have got more help, because we were literally doing everything. I mean, towards the end, we got people to help us. Like, two art students came and helped us make some models for some of our sets, and, and we got an editor in to help us actually piece the show together. But before then, we were doing the whole thing, and it just... We didn't really know what we were doing, and it took ages. So, to us, it felt like we were not productive. And with your more recent projects, with things like Bug and Colonel Panic and your, the shows by which you are, um, for those of for those people that don't know them, could you just describe Bug is a, uh, a show that I started doing in 2007. It's a live showcase for left field weird music videos that I was invited to host at the BFI South Bank, where I still do it every couple of months. And we tour it around the country and stuff. And I introduce the videos and then do little stupid bits of bullshit in between, including sometimes reading out comments that people have left on YouTube for them. That's where I started doing that. And then my own show, Colonel Panic, was the first time that I'd toured a little bit with, with a show that was ostensibly my stuff. A lot of the so stuff... So sort of, it's sort of a similar format to Bug, but yeah. it's your stuff rather than... Right. I wasn't showing other people's videos. Um, but yes, it, a lot of the stuff was born out of doing Bug, yeah. And was the, I remember the, was it your first foray into uh, internet comments when uh, the Persuasionists was attacked? Oh, yeah. So, and we worked on that together. I don't know if you remember, right? Me and Richard Sandling did the warm-up for that show. And it was funny in the room. It was funny in the room. What do you mean? Well, in... (laughs) (laughs) It was also funny in the room. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's one of the funniest shows ever made. Yeah, and so when uh, that came out... I, I'm glad I've put my foot in it, as well as Richard, who famously uh, made a comment about the editing of the show on, a, on an internet website. Yeah. Um, it's one of the funny... It's like a... Le- I mean, boy, I talked about the Persuasionist so much. Obviously, people always want to know what the Persuasionist is. Persuasionist. It's like a legendary show, sure. <laughs> as Rodney falling through the bar and... <laughs> And there's the persuasions. I don't want to go on about too much because I think everything about the persuasions that could be said has been said. We've, we all know about it. We've all seen it. We all love it. Um, but, and it was a special, special time. Uh, uh, of course, at the time we knew it was special. Um, but yes, when it came out, um, social media, YouTube, the opportunity to uh, uh, cut through the hysteria um, was useful and uh, cathartic. Uh, so it was nice to you, post a video there of me reading some of the reviews. Yeah. You were the first person I think I'd ever seen turn negative reviews into a positive, funny thing online. Did that, was it cathartic? Did it feel good to be able to go... Like, did, it, did it help? I don't, I don't understand what you mean by negative. <laughs> um, yeah, it was really enjoyable... Um, yeah, it was, yeah, to answer your question. It, it made me feel happy. And was that the, the basis of... Was that the first time you... you well, I mean, at that point, were you already reading out YouTube comments? 
Yes, I was. I started reading out the YouTube comments in 2007. Okay. Persuasionist, I think, came out, well, we filmed it in 2009. Okay. And then I think um, in order to build excitement, uh, they sat on it for a year. <laughs> Moved it around in the schedules a few times. Yeah. So that when it came out uh, in January of 2010 or 11, I think, um, people were very excited. As someone who creates a lot of stuff, as well as the successes, there must also be things like Mebox, the pilot, which was a brilliant pilot, oh, yeah. didn't get picked up. Yeah, yeah, that was bad timing. I don't know, it was bad timing and also maybe it wasn't a good show. It However, was definitely a good show. Well, there was, there was things in there that could have made for a, 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 a good show, and which I always thought was the point of making a pilot, right? Yeah. And you sort of look at it and you think, okay, that works, that doesn't, uh, we've learned our lesson, let's make the series. But I think uh, it was bad timing. And you know what it's like. Uh, timing's a big, important part of it. And a thing that happens to a lot of people when they're involved with TV is that they'll have lots of good relationships with executives, and then those executives will move on, and then the new executives will come in, and they will want to make a name for themselves with projects that they've brought to the channel themselves. And so they clear out the backlog uh, of the, the, the projects that the previous executive... I'm, going, I'm just going to go to sleep. I just bored myself with that sentence. Um, how but, do, you, how do yeah. you cope, though, as a creator who's poured all of that time and work into something like Mebox? How do you, how do you cope emotionally with, that, with, it, with it getting cut? I murdered some people, <laughs> and um, I think I got away with it. Um, and I went on a long pilgrimage. Uh, no, I don't know. I did feel quite depressed about that, actually. There were a few days where I just thought, Jesus, I'm getting some fairly clear signals here. And, and also some of the people that I'd worked on it with, that I showed it to, they were a little bit like, yeah, well, there are problems with it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it was good that they were being honest. But again, it was the wrong moment. Um, and I, I was also, uh, you know, I just took the criticism very personally. That's the problem with working on stuff on your own, you know, and being a control freak and wanting things to be just so is that you don't benefit from, from being with someone else and, and getting some perspective on it. So I was all alone in my nutty room, and I get the, get the call from the, the guy at the BBC, and he's like, ah, it's not going to happen, sorry. I was like, okay, okay, no problem. Okay, bye, thanks, thanks, bye. And then I was like, oh, fuck. What am I going to do now? I've got no fucking idea. Actually, what I did, oh, no, that was afterwards. Yeah. No, it, the, the, the fun thing, which I thought I was picking myself up with actually happened before. <laughs> <laughs> you get to, we'll fudge it. We'll fudge it in the edit. <laughs> no, I, I, I'd been working with Radiohead doing their um, webcast. Okay. And Johnny Greenwood had done the music for the Me Box pilot. And uh, I was playing him little bits and pieces from the thing before it was all finished and edited. And, and it was really so fun. And I was thinking, this is all coming together. Okay, I've made a video for Radiohead. I've got my pilot. Johnny Greenwood's done the music. Okay, here we go. Oh, it's going to get exciting. And then it's like... <laughs> um, but then, you know, the radio show came along. Yes. That's what happened. Yeah, 2008, we filled in for Sean Keaveney. Actually, towards the end of 2007. 
And uh, to me, it seemed like, well, this is just a step back. You know, it's just me and Joe again. We're both bored of each other and it's radio. And, but actually, it was the best thing that could have happened and the most enjoyable thing. So throughout the various projects that you've worked on, by the, by the time it got to making Bug for Sky, were you then in a position when, like I noticed there were lots of producers credited on the show. Oh, yeah. Were you in a situation? Oh, there were. That's right, because they were all the team that originally invited me to do the live show. I see. And then okay. when, they, when we did the TV show, they were like, oh, Jesus, this is going to be a massive hit. We've got to be, we've got to get I producer see. credits. Okay. Well, I was wondering about the, about whether people, whether someone at Sky who was responsible for the money, yeah. whether you ever kind of clashed on how you wanted it to work, given that, like, you, you would justifiably be able to say, look, for 25 years or more, I've been making stuff. I know what I'm doing now. Were there moments when you were overruled or decisions you made or that were decisions with the, with the Sky else? executives or with the yeah. other people that do bug? Uh, both. Right. Uh, well, no. I mean, the, the people that originally invited me to do bug, a guy called David Knight and uh, Louise Stevens and Chris Blakeston, Phil Tidy, the bug team, all people involved with the music video industry in various ways. Uh, they were obviously keen that we didn't take a giant crap all over what we'd built up with the live show. But I was too. And, and I was keen that they wouldn't feel excluded from the process. And, uh, I, you know, I'd listened to enough podcasts to hear horror stories about relationships breaking up when mm. projects go to a, a different medium or whatever, you know. So I didn't want any of that and was keen to have them all be uh, on board and credited properly. And, and actually, it was, sorry, there's no fun story. It was really enjoyable. The Sky people that we worked with were fantastic and super supportive it was a breeze and i really thought like i fucking cracked it finally this is a a simple super simple show because i think my problem and maybe joe a little bit as well was always that we would just overcomplicate everything we'd just be so keen to give people value for money we loved the simpsons you know we loved all the tiny little jokes they put in there in the background everywhere was had been thought about you know the detail was lovely and so we're like we're going to try and do something like that too and we'll put details and everything and little messages for people and uh, and all this kind of stuff but it takes up so much time and in the end sometimes it, it i think it puts people off you know like the hardcore dig it but a casual viewer or listener might just go it's too much you know and um so the challenge was always to to st- strip things back you know and i should have known like the music i love is all Stripped down. All the bands I love, all the new wave New York bands, Talking Heads and all that lot, they're all great for me because they're all stripped down and you can hear how they're interacting so beautifully, you know. And there's not too much orchestration. And, you know, I like Father John Misty and all that kind of stuff, but it's sometimes to me it's too much and you just want something to be uncluttered and, and pure and simple. And that was what I was always never very good at. And with Bug, I was like, fuck, this show is, what, 22 minutes without commercials? And it's more or less just I read out two sets of YouTube comments. We show some really good left-field videos. I do uh, a song, and I've, uh, someone has directed a video for a song that I've written. And there's a couple of gags from my desktop pattern, you know, from my computer at the top of the show. And that's it. It's really basic. And... Um, People really seem to like it. And I don't know if anyone watched it. This was on Sky Atlantic. And obviously, you have to subscribe. Um, there was a few people saying, like, oh, you know, why would you fucking do a show on Sky Atlantic? As if I'd chosen uh, to, 
I'm not going to do it on Channel 4. I could make a show, <laughs> I could make a show anywhere in the world that I wanted. We must wrap up shortly. I've got uh, one final question before I ask that. And by the way, the punchline, well, it's not really a punchline, but the end of that Sky story is, I was totally wrong. Because it just yeah. didn't get to a second series. Bad timing again. Not because Sky didn't like the show, but they just had a change of policy. And we were just a victim. They weren't making any more uh, home, you know, uh, homegrown entertainment shows. And they were concentrating on U.S. imports, that kind of thing. And so, given that that that, that show, sorry, was I don't, so... I didn't mean to get it all back on that. No, That's... not no, not at all. But I'm interested in knowing, given that that it seemed to me that Bug kind of drew together so many different aspects of what you've spent the last twenty years doing. Um, what's next in terms of like that? Now that that show won't continue, it, what's the what's the next project? What are you currently working on? Uh, well, I'm trying to write something for Channel Four with Graham Linehan who did Father Ted and, you know, Count Arthur and the IT crowd and all that, uh, co-wrote at least. And uh, so, I, I mean, it's early days, but it's looking positive. And um, so it's a sitcom thing. And I, the idea is that I would be in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, <laughs> it's... That's a sinister laugh off from stage right there. Uh, Possib- is that Graham? No? <laughs> It's exciting. It's uh, set in an advertising agency. <laughs> um, it's, uh, no, it's not. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I'm doing, as well as, um, you know, I mean, I've got a family. I've got three children and stuff like that. So I do that mainly. You've cultivated an incredibly, uh, uh, what's the word, an incredibly involved following. Uh-huh. that people love coming and seeing whatever it is that you do. People, all of these people are here to see you to find out what happens inside the nutty room. And I, I, just... I think a lot of them are here to see you, Stuart. Oh, you're, you're kind, but because wrong. Because you're uncommonly, <laughs> uncommonly good-looking. I would say too oh, good-looking. Da- damn you, podcast format. <laughs> um, the, uh... <laughs> and I said as well, like Stuart said, is it okay if we film the show? And I was like, do you mind if we don't? Just because I find it more relaxing. Yeah. But I know why you want to film it. <laughs> in front of you now, I'm basking in your attractiveness. <laughs> uh, there is nothing I can say now and not be a prick. So, uh, <laughs> Sorry, man. You were, you were, yeah, yeah, you were saying so, the audience is so nice. Yes, I agree with absolutely. you. Absolutely. They're really loyal is the word I was looking for. They're loyal. For. And I, 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 when I uh, meet people after a show, you know, I genuinely, there's very few times when I think, oh, shut up. Um, most of the time, I... <laughs> but sometimes, you'll it, notice, I mean, few. It's literally happened, I would say, twice in 20 years. But, uh, and it's been, you know, just someone who's too wasted or whatever. But um, usually, yeah, it's really nice. I feel that makes me feel very good about things, I must say. When I do a show and I uh, meet the people afterwards who've been to the show, I think, oh, well, I, I can't be so awful. So can you keep pace with, as a, as a sort of YouTube producer... As a as a, a creator, as a noodler, as a as a creator of all these nuggets, can you, as someone who was there before YouTube, was making them before YouTube even existed, can you keep pace with all of the latest technological developments? Are you making stuff on Vine? Are you kind of trying to keep up with? No. <laughs> I, think, I love to hear that. That's very reassuring. I think at a, at a certain point you have to let go. And say, okay, well, my time has come and gone with this medium. Um, 
And, uh, but there are other avenues to explore, you know, and other things that I might be good at um, and, and, and find ways of... I mean, I've never, like, worried about being irrelevant, especially as because, as I said before, most of the stuff that I do is really reacting to what's around me anyway. So um, that's, that's a, a cup that never gets empty. So finally, finally then, what would you have on your comedy gravestone? Oh, mate, what's that? What, how... I could have, you could have at least forewarned me about that. <laughs> I could have thought about something really funny and clever to say. Instead, what would I have on my comedy gravestone? I don't know, like a Siggy and a gin and tonic? <laughs> In case I revive. No, what would I have? What would you have? I don't know. Come on, give me, a, give me an example of someone well, who has answered well, that. Well, I mean, people have lots of different reactions to that question. Andy Zaltzman said he'd have Keep Digging. Keep but digging. he's a sort of, he, do you know what I mean? He's a genius in specifically that regard. But just as, what would be your, your final, what would be your message? What would you like to be your lasting message to the YouTube noodlers of tomorrow? Um, it doesn't have to be funny. It just, it no. could be a heartfelt sentiment. Uh, I gave, I wrote down some advice for myself the other day. <laughs> this is already the perfect answer. So, <laughs> I wrote down... Uh, so I'm always keeping like notes and all this sort of shit. Um, ways to improve, I wrote down. What was it? And this is something that maybe I would put on my career advice from my dad. I've got. He. This was some real career advice he gave me after he saw a bug show and um, he saw me like singing a version of uh, Pull Up to the Bumper or something. <laughs> he said, "You've really got quite a reasonable voice. You should record classic Cole Porter songs." <laughs> And it wouldn't be a joke. So basically, it's a bit like Seth MacFarlane doing the Frank Sinatra album. <laughs> That's what my dad thinks I should do. Uh, and uh, advice. Oh, hang on, hang on. I'm scrolling through. I made all these notes because I was worried uh, that I wouldn't have anything to say. But now, in the end, it was fun talking to you. and We didn't need them. Uh, advice. Um, okay, I've got keep a sketchbook. Slash notebook. And then under that, I've got the enemies of comedy. Wanting to be cool. Wanting to be taken seriously. That's it. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in thanking Mr. Adam Buxton. So that was Adam. Thank you so much to him. Uh, thank you to JQ, to Andre Pattenden, to James Hingley, who's been uh, designing the website that you're no doubt all looking at now and, and rubbing your face on your monitor because it's so delicious uh, at www.comedianscomedian.com. Thanks to all those guys and, of course, to Mr. Nathan Wood for co-producing the show as ever. I've been Stuart Goldsmith. That was Adam Buxton. Next week, who's it going to be? Kirshen, Egg, Morehouse, Oswald, Baker... That's too many episodes. The, the dam's going to burst and we're all going to be covered in concom. Thanks for listening. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. 
products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.